Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rise and shine, football fans. Welcome to Morning Footy, presented by Degree. It won't let you down, and neither... Will this crew? What's up, everybody? Nice. Susanna Collins, you like how I did that? <laughs> Nico Cantor, we've got Jenny Chu at the desk, Charlie Davies, and the lovely Christine Cupo. So great to have you back. I've missed you. I've missed you as well. <laughs> I've missed you as well. We got the whole gang together. Um, so one of the reasons we've got Jenny Chu at the desk is because we have some big news to discuss, guys, uh, in the U.S. soccer world. Uh, yesterday, head coach of the U.S. women's national team, Vladko Andonovsky, announced that he will resign from his position. Um, the announcement from U.S. soccer expected to come later today. Here is a tweet from Meg Linehan of The Athletic. She said, a source has confirmed to me that Vladko Andonovsky has handed in his resignation as U.S. women's national team head coach. It was first reported by 90 Minutes. Plan is to announce tomorrow um, he already has interest from multiple clubs already. So the news comes on the heels of the U.S.'s elimination from the Women's World Cup in the round of 16, which is the earliest exit that they have ever had in its history. Jenny, I don't think you were surprised by this, but I, I want to get your initial reaction to the news that Vladko has handed in his resignation. I think that after the round of 16 crash out, it was inevitable that uh, they would part ways, um, depending on how that happened. Um, I think just his record in major tournaments, three wins in 10 matches for the U.S. women's national team, that might be okay in other places, but I think that with the dominance that the U.S. women's team has shown, um, it's important to continue that, and he might not have been the, the right person to move forward there uh, more than anything. And I, No, not surprised. He's, you know, been very unsuccessful in major tournaments, and that was the, the final straw. Yeah, you mentioned the, that he was not successful. Let's, um, let's actually take a look at their record and how the U.S. women's national team performed under Vladko. He took over the role in October of 2019, a 51-9-5 record. This is the stat, though, that is kind of indicative of how this all went. Three wins in ten matches at the major tournaments. Hmm. It's not good enough. It's just not good enough, Christine. Not even close. I think we saw early indications of that with the Olympics. I think that probably was the harbinger of doom. Not much had changed beyond that. We uh, entertained, I'd say, a lot of his changes and his experimentation that were probably needed at the time. But I think we are now several years beyond where we should be. Uh, Kind of took all of that progress that we had made as a lead in sort of this like dominance as a U.S. side and kind of squandered it. In, in ways that are unimaginable, where we have players that are not optimal for, for their positions or uh, seeing players that are getting few minutes that even in this last tournament 
kind of inexplicable. You know, yeah. it's, there's just too much talent for us to be doing this poorly. Do you yeah. think we took a step back? Yes. I think that after the Olympics, it should have been a huge wake-up call, and there should have been a change made there, and I don't think there was. Um, I think it was very obvious that the playing style, and I've talked about this for a long time, has not been um, as dominant or as cohesive as we would like. We have these major players um, as individuals that have carried this team and we've relied on them so much. And yes, we have the talent in that aspect, but to be a World Cup winning team and world champion team, now you cannot rely on those factors because everyone else in the world is catching up, as we say. But the cohesion was missing. Yeah. Yes, we have the players, but how do you get them to work together? How do you get them? And, and I mentioned it, you know, making sure that it's a unit from, a, from the get-go, as opposed to people still fighting for spots at the very last second, is a, is a part of it. Mm. I think the fact that we were, we didn't know what the lineup was going to be. We didn't know what the best 11 was, and it feels like Vladko didn't really know what his best 11 was either heading into this World Cup, Charlie. No, he didn't, and uh, unfortunately there were some injuries that I think threw some more questions mm -hmm. in, into the fold. But when I look at Vlako and Adonofsky in, in his time during this, this run post-Jill Ellis, I know we talk about dominance and we expect dominance from this U.S. Women's National Team, but if you look at the 2019 World Cup, it wasn't dominant. I mean, they won, which is, which is what you want, but it's a 2-1 win versus Spain, a 2-1 win versus France, and a 2-1 win versus an England side that were better on the day. They were better in terms of they had clear-cut opportunities. They, they probably you know, left that game feeling like, oh, we should have we won this game. But ultimately, the U.S. women won, and that's what you expect from them, to win. And in the times that we've had Vlako Adonofsky, you didn't see a, a, any type of movement from Jill Ellis in terms of a philosophy. There's not a playing uh -huh. philosophy. There's not a style. And then going into to matches, is there a game plan, a tactical game plan? This team is very good in possession. So we're either going to win the ball from them and play in their half and, and really be high in, in the way that we press them or counter press. We're going to drop a little bit deep. As soon as they get uh, one player gets in the ball that likes to take a little bit more touches, we're going to jump her, and then we're going to be a little bit more direct in the way we play. This, this team maybe on the left side is a little bit weaker than, than other sides. We never saw that from Blacko, or just taking advantage of set pieces. Mm. You just didn't have not only a tactical game plan, but in terms of player selection, it was always off. There was mm -hmm. not. There From the very the beginning, right we said it was unbalanced. The squad that he took to the World yeah. Cup, and to add to what you were saying. If we look at it only from a results point of view, that's not even telling the entire story. Look at what happened between the Olympics and the World Cup. Mm -hmm. How many times after friendly we said, mm, that performance wasn't didn't that convincing. It, it didn't right. feel like, okay, they're on the right track. They've got the right idea. Right. For instance, and Ireland. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. Oh, yeah. 45 minutes, Ireland played, played them off the park. And, and I'm thinking, whoa, this is the U.S. Women's National Team that's supposed to go in and win again? Yeah. yeah. The alarm bells have been ringing. Though, too, uh, out of possession, I think what we're seeing that is very atypical that we haven't seen before is this weird rigidity. They're unable to sort of be nimble and, and adjust properly. And that's something that I don't think we've ever seen of the U.S. women's national team side. Yes. It's very peculiar. Because I, it's almost like, guys, right. like you Christine, need to be able that. to improv on the fly. It's, like, it's I don't exactly know what's that. The ability here. to um, adjust 
is something that we haven't been able to see. So, mind you, we talk about, you know, these quotes that have come out where Vladko has said, reportedly, um, that he wanted Alex Morgan to play in a Katarina Marcario style of play. That's not who she is. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you, you have to kind of say, these are the players no, that I, I have. to play like Barta. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> these, these are the style of, these are the players that I have. This is the style that they play. How can I best suit them mm -hmm. for their skills and, and make a team around the, what I have? Right? And I don't think he did that early enough. And then the, the lack of substitutes is something that sounds like it just keeps coming up because it's true. How do you not make subs in a tournament style? It's not a one-off where you can just play the team and, and trust that they can play it's, 90 minutes. You have to. It's not even the subs too. It's the rotation. Mm -hmm. You're in a World Cup. You have to yeah. rotate the squad. When you're putting out the same starting lineup over two matches mm. or over three in a World Cup, that's insane. Which goes back to Vlako not being able to make the tough decisions. Yep. Megan Rapino, should she have been on the squad? She she was not. I had no so problem with her being on the squad. No, but playing, right. having that level of importance, it's, playing. Yes. Yeah. And, and having those Absolutely. tough discussions. Alex Morgan, yeah. as much as she's done, it was, you it was said so, you, it was wanted, so, her to, you wanted him Smith's to rest time. her yes, in right. that second group stage match. The game against yeah, Netherlands I remember. was a perfect opportunity yeah. to say, Sophia Smith, I'm going to try you at the nine. Yeah. Right. And, and her style is vastly different from Alex Morgan. And then you can say, let's see what a Trinity Rodman on one side and Alyssa Thompson or a Lynn Williams, what that looks like. And, and switch that up. And then the midfield, having some diversity in the midfield. Uh, can we keep the ball? I'd like to see the U.S. women's national and team have a possession-based side because mm. they have the players, they have the depth, but you wouldn't know it considering and the selection. Going into the World Cup, it was too late to experiment. I personally don't think it's not necessarily insane if you go with the same lineup throughout a group stage, but we weren't an established team come group stage. And it's, it's not rotation for rotation's sake. It's rotation to adapt to maneuver your squad to find to find it. Well, it's also the, the to, squad to rest. Was it, they didn't find <laughs> right. it to but rest also, for sure. But Nico, I agree with you. But at what point does the experiment start and stop? It feels like it was always experimental. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, right. like yeah. Of and course, that's the you point don't I've been going into a World Cup. You have to have a clear stopped. idea. Yeah. You, you have, have to have a Julie clear Ertz idea. Julie is another case. Match day one. Yeah. The, the experiment. Oh, defensive midfielder. No. So now we're going to throw it center back. When which none of us had seen before. We're only going to take two center backs. Remember when that lineup dropped and we were like, huh? They played, they, play, they played her in the what? friendlies. They, they, uh, Vlatko played her at center defensive mid, and then match day one, yeah. World Cup, center yeah. back for the rest but of the that, World but Cup. But that's what I mean, is play players to their strengths. Not yeah. that Juliards didn't have a good tournament at center back, but that's where we wanted to see her because the, that middle three had played together, and they wanted to, to do that um, and had experience in doing so. The, the lack of a decision... Um, or being able to say, you know what, I'm benching you, I'm moving this, um, this person's coming to the World Cup and you're not, is a very important task. It's a very, you know, you have to have a certain aura to say, I'm making this decision and I'm standing by my decision. Whether or not Jill he was Ellis, able to... The way she yep. handled Carly Lloyd in the 2019 World Cup, that's cool. a leader. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That takes guts to look at one of the best players to ever play the game, yep. period, and say, you're not starting. Mm -hmm. And you know Carly Lloyd's, she wants to play. She's a competitor. And it's almost to, to the detriment of, of right. being almost that team player, right? Because at the end of the day, I want to play. I want to be the best. I know I have, I have that quality. And for Jill Ellis to look at her and say, you know what? 
I, I know you have the quality, but you're going to be used the way I see. And Lago was unable players, to do that with Pino and Morgan. Most players have that. If they're at the top level, they have that desire to want to be the best and to always want to be on the field. And I mean, and you love if that. you're at the top and you want that from your players, but as a manager, you have to be able to say, I trump you. Mm -hmm. I'm making the decisions here. And you have to... It's a tough conversation. Mm -hmm. and, and Vlaco was the coach from, from outside looking in. He wanted everyone to to be his friend. You know, everyone, he wanted to be Even well in his parting comments, it was, it was very, they're my friends, I love them, you know? And it's yeah. like, I love that a manager respects, you know, his players so much and cares about them so much, but at a certain point you have to say, I have to You're separate that. You can have both. It's called managing. I mean, yeah. it's literally like you are a manager managing people. for a reason. <laughs> Shocking, you know, like, like not managing easy job, people, right? Is, yeah. yeah, that is literally the job. Um, again, that announcement from U.S. Soccer expected to come a little bit later on today to make it official. We are going to take a break, Jenny. We'll be back with some headlines when we return. Don't go anywhere. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Welcome back. U.S. Open Cup semifinals are on Wednesday, and you can watch it right here on the Galazzo Network as FC Cincinnati hosts Leo Messi and Inter Miami at 7 p.m. Eastern, followed up by the Houston Dynamo taking on Real Salt Lake at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Our coverage starts at 6 p.m. Eastern. You don't want to miss it, and you also don't want to miss some headlines delivered by Jenny Chu. What's going on, Jenny? Tell us. I'll get right into it. The Professional Football Writers Association have announced the Player of the Year nominees, which includes Erling Haaland, Kevin De Bruyne, Harry Kane, Martin Odegaard, Bukayo Saka, and John Stones. Haaland and Saka were also nominated for PFA Young Player of the Year Award. The winners of the award will be announced on August 29th in Manchester. Over in Italy, reigning Coppa Italia champions Inter have announced the signing of Austrian international Marco Arnautovic on a loan deal with an obligation to buy from Bologna. 34-year-old forward returns back to Inter Milan, where he had a brief loan spell in 2010, appearing in three matches. Inter Milan get their new striker after failing to reach deals with Falerin Balogun and Gianluca Scamacca, and also deciding to not pursue Romelu Lukaku after finding out the striker held talks with rivals Juventus. Over in Merseyside, England, Liverpool are closing in on signing defensive midfielder Wataru Endo, who is undergoing medicals at the club today, according to multiple reports. Sources in Germany have indicated that the deal for the Japanese international would be for a fee of around $20 million. This would be a key move for Jurgen Klopp's midfield after failing to secure the signings of Moises Caicedo and Romeo Lavia. 
Manchester United are in the final stages of making a decision on Mason Greenwood's future. Greenwood has not played for United since he was arrested in January of 2022 on sexual assault allegations. Greenwood has denied the accusation, and all charges, including attempted rape, were dropped this past February. In a statement on Wednesday, the club said its own investigation into Greenwood is now complete, but that contrary to multiple media reports, that decision on Greenwood's status has not yet been made and is currently the subject of intensive internal deliberation. More details are emerging on Neymar's deal to the Saudi Pro League. The Brazilian star moved to Al-Hilal following a $99 million transfer from PSG, and he then signed a two-year, $320 million contract. Reports have indicated it's not just the money for Neymar, who also will receive a private jet, eight luxury cars, and a 25-bedroom mansion that includes three saunas and an Olympic-sized pool. Neymar spoke yesterday about the move and Ronaldo's impact in the decision. Cristiano Ronaldo, I think foi o pioneiro em tudo isso e todo mundo no começo chamou ele de, de, de louco, né, disso e de aquilo. E hoje você está vendo que a liga está crescendo né, cada vez mais. Charlie, you heard all those perks, right? I did. 25 room mansion. I heard that your contract with CBS is similar. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm making that travel. We're all, <laughs> We're all moving in with Charlie. Yeah. No, I... I I can't fault him. I can't fault him. I just look at Neymar, we spoke about it. His, his level of talent and his ability, it just feels like it was never fulfilled because of the ambition and who, who am I to argue or who are we to argue when you get that much of a, you know, a payday he was to, get to that not be distracted in, in six years. Mm -hmm. And to make that move to PSG and forward to that project didn't, go the way that he had hoped and the, the way that PSG had hoped. And when you're getting paid all that much money, that much money and, and things go south, it's, it's tough to see because he was so talented. And he left, PSG, uh, left Barca to PSG because he was trying to be the, the next great, the next Messi, mm -hmm. the next Cristiano Ronaldo, the next Ballon d'Or winner, and just didn't fulfill his, his potential, he in was, my opinion. He wasn't chasing the bag. Felt like he was gonna ha get this offer anyway in six years. He's Neymar. The f the force of his image, the the force of his craft. It's only logical that in six years' time, the Saudis are gonna come with an offer anyway. You know how much they can sell the the Saudi league, or or maybe even not even six years' time, three years' time. He's still at a moment in his career where he can make the difference because again, Neymar is one of the most wildly talented players in Europe. But the priorities are different, and it's one of it's. I think it's an underachievement for him to leave Europe and go to Saudi Arabia at this well, time. I, I think I, he was I, also yeah. like underperforming significantly, though, too, for what and who he is supposed to be as a player. So I feel like when you're kind of looking down the barrel at, I don't know. There's a sense of uncertainty uh, where this is going and how am I? Because PSG, everything always seemed very unsettled for him. Like he didn't seem like he was, you know, kind of making a home there or feeling like his peak player self that we know he can be. I just also like, you never know what injury could come around the corner. So I kind of understand the logic of like going to Saudi league, though I aggressively disagree with it in theory. Um, it just, I don't know. To me, it feels a little bit like giving up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he, he was getting injured left and right. right. I think he was desperate to leave 
Paris PSG. after Messi and left. Who and was going to come? He, he, it was a similar to the Ronaldo situation. Yeah. Who was going to offer him a contract? If it wasn't Barcelona, who is going to pay what it takes to bring Neymar to your club or who can pay and then for, and with, for you to play and mm-hmm. compete at the top level? Right. Right. And now, moving forward for Neymar, how does that have ramifications for the Brazilian national team going forward? He was the guy for the last couple of World Cups, and there have been comments here there that Qatar was his last go at a World Cup for the Brazilian national team, but he could, with his talent, the player that he is, 2026 isn't out of the question, but 2026, two and a half years from now, and he's playing at Al-Hilal, is he still going to be that guy? Is he still going to have that level, that motivation, that commitment? There's go, Making this move at this point in career, it's not like Ronaldo, who already has a cemented legacy, one of the best in the world of soccer, to move on. You think Neymar, and, who's also nearly 40, like, right. realistically, you're already Neymar playing well Neymar establishing his legacy, is what you're saying. He's, he still had to establish a legacy. Yes. He doesn't even, he, at this point, with, with what he did, I don't know if he cracks top mm. 30. We had, we'd have to make a list. I'm just well, now I'm, his legacy is going to be. What? He makes hundred thousand dollars. in the history of football. Of course not. Top uh-huh. media post. But this, All right, but guys. <laughs> he was good enough to be that. To be. He, he what does he? 50, what does he want? He hasn't won a Ballon d'Or. He wasn't, hasn't won a World no. Cup. Champions no. League. That's it. But with the help of Messi and Suarez. Don't be mad because he's making lots of money for every social <laughs> media post, guys. I mean, literally, in ten minutes, you can make a hundred grand. That's great. I'm, We're happy I'll for tell you right now. I'm, I'm tweeting and I'm, I'm, ins- I'm putting a post up every minute. I, every minute. You kind of you, you kind of can't blame the guy. All right. Anyways, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to be diving into yesterday's UEFA Super Cup between Manchester City and Sevilla. That's on the other side. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Winners, Europa League winners. Now the UEFA Super Cup is the prize for the winners. Cross is hanging in the air. And Sevilla going front. Rodri looks for Haaland. Up the crossbar and bundled over the line. There's no extra time in the Super Cup this year. It means we go to a penalty shootout. It's in the hands of the skipper, Carl Walker. And almost kept out by Bono. He's got to score. It's good out. Who thumps his shot against the crossbar? And it is Manchester City who had the UEFA Super Cup to their UEFA Champions League win.
Well, yesterday's UEFA Super Cup saw Champions League winners Manchester City taking on the winners of Europa League in Sevilla after they lost out on the Community Shield. I think Manchester City looking for a little redemption, a little more hardware to add to their cabinet, and they get it done. They win their first ever Super Cup. Sevilla on the other side win their, or lose their sixth consecutive Super Cup, which is a, feels a little bit tragic for them. But, Nico, you were on the coverage of, yeah. of this match yesterday. It felt like Sevilla were very much in control uh, at the start of this game. Manchester City didn't come out the way I think that maybe we had anticipated. They didn't look like the Manchester City that we know. Well, they're not the Manchester City that we know because they lost Gundogan and now they have to deal with life post Kevin De Bruyne or just in these three, four months that they'll be without him. I don't know if Sevilla was in control, but they were doing what they needed to make City uncomfortable mm -hmm. and not give City the control. I don't know if City was in control. They weren't dominant like the way uh, they would have. Sevilla was putting together a valiant performance probably up until the 50th, 55th minute mark when really they should have gone up 2-0. They, they, they had their opportunities to go up 2-0. And then Manchester City... Now that we got these hints of what life without Kevin De Bruyne could be like, who's going to step up, who's going to form that partnership to try to feed um, Holland the ball. Cole Palmer was good. Uh, Jack Grealish was good. And it's going to take a team effort. Uh, the thing is that over 90 minutes, right, it, imagine this was a league game. Mm -hmm. You would feel like this is two points lost for Manchester City because the game played out the way it played out. And then it fell right into your hands for the taking, right? Sevilla missed their opportunities to go up 2-0. And in the moment when they were weakest, when they were gassed, had very little energy left, Manchester City is usually, under Pep Guardiola, has been a shark. They, they, they just tear you apart. And Sevilla was against the ropes. They were against the ropes yeah, before. They took a really long time to make the sub, and they just needed to deliver the blow, and they couldn't. They won the trophy, great, and they move on. Pep will make his conclusions. Sure. You know, at the end of the day, that's what it was. Sure. It wasn't a league play. But if, if we do trophy. translate that into <laughs> league play, it would have been two points lost, but happy for Manchester City, happy for Pep. You got the sense that, too, because this, this match, um, at the end of regulation, it goes straight into to penalty kicks. But if this had gone into extra time, you just had a feeling. Because Sevilla, as you said, were, they were absolutely Gassed. exhausted. And took forever to be Yeah, exhausted. yeah. You just had a feeling that City were going to, were always going to win this one. Um, let's get to the highlights of this let's one. Let's do it. Let's see how it all went down. We pick it up in the 25th minute, and it was Sevilla. That got on the board first. Oh, it's, a, it's an incredible ball from Acuna here, but look at the positioning hmm. of Vario and Nathan Ake. It's mm -hmm. in this series movement, but he's, he's unimpeded. He's allowed to jump to the ball. He can time it perfectly, and when he rises up, he could guide it home to the near post, and no keeper in the world is stopping that. So just poor defensive marking there, but here in the end, I know Nico was calling for Cole Palmer to get subbed for Julian Alvarez, but Cole Palmer, <laughs> he proved his quality. Right here. Well, no, in the game, he also created a shot. This is, a, this is what I love from Guardiola. He's trusting in the youth. He's giving players opportunities. Cole Palmer and Man City, Man City team, you would never think that considering where they were last yeah. year. But Cole Palmer, and and I think he was okay with allowing Gundogan to leave, uh, allowing Mahrez to leave, because Cole Palmer and Phil Foden. Phil Foden's another, he's just 23 years old. He's been around for a while. Supremely talented, but hasn't been consistent yet. This is his moment. 
to get into that team and stay in that team because last season he, he had a good run until he got injured and then it was tough for him to get back in the team. Gundogan took off and KDB was just cemented underneath Holland and that partnership was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. You saw Erling Holland str struggle quite a bit in this match because he had no help. He was on an island mm -hmm. and it was also the way that Sevilla set up. Back four, but it was like four with another four. five. It was four, five, one, yeah. essentially. They locked it down, and it was very narrow as well. They forced Man City to play to the, the, the channels, and they just defended so well. So from that respect, I think City will look at that and say, that was a difficult game, and we came away with silverware. We'll take it. Yep, and they're, sure. still, they're still trying to find their stride. After a trouble, it's a long season. Mm. You, you have that epic celebration. You, you kind of have that sense of, oh, you relax. Last year it took a while now to get going. Now you got to get back in it. Last year it took a while to get going. And just the caveat here on, on Cole Palmer, Manchester City scored it during Sevilla's best moment. And look, I was looking to see what subs Pep could make to change things up. And I felt like if you move Foden outside and have Juli work off of Holland, it could have given Manchester City a different dynamic. But Pep like he did a lot in the Champions League, waited a very long time to make his first sub. I don't think his we only came until, yeah. uh, well, until the 80th <laughs> minute or so. But uh, hey, look, after that, Cole Palmer balled, balled. His stock is just through the roof. After the Euros, under 21 and Euros. he scored in the Community Shield. Community yeah. Shield. Well, yeah. He played, played 10 minutes uh, in the opener against Burnley. So he, he's finding his feet, and you can see it, it's going to be an adjustment coming into this side, but the kids got it. I want to ask a little bit more, uh, Nico, you mentioned life without Kevin De Bruyne and, and what that looks like. After watching this match, where does that service come from? You know, like where, how are they going to make up for that loss? Did you see any, did you see any signs of a direction that Pep is going in, in terms of just trying to make up for that massive absence? Rodri was great. He's the one that plays the ball into Palmer where he, He's coming closer to the box. He, was, he, he transformed last season into this player that's not only a complete midfielder, but he gets forward as well. Kovacic, again, he's, Kovacic, I guess, is, is the Gunduan role as well, but with Rodri steps up, they've got center backs. I don't think it's like one player that steps up in Kevin De Bruyne's mm -hmm. absence because Kevin De Bruyne is irreplaceable. The way that he can thread the channels, mm -hmm. play with both feet, he can come on the left, he can come on the right, he can see those passes. It's a matter of Pep figuring out how the team functions without Kevin De Bruyne for everybody to make up for his absence. It's, it's not a like for like, all right, you do Kevin De Bruyne. And, and yeah, Bernardo Silva, you're Kevin De Bruyne. Which, <laughs> which I love about Pep because these are the challenges he looks forward to, finding the balance within the team. Without a Kevin De Bruyne, how do you find that balance? Mm -hmm. And it's about inputting the right players so that you ha find chemistry. Because now Erling Holland. All that year worth of work of building that relationship and chemistry with Kevin De Bruyne is gone. So now it's how does he find other options? Because, yeah, you can whip the ball into him all day. But in terms of building through the midfield, him checking and players running off him, KDB was that player. Now you gotta, you got to have Phil Foden making those runs, Cole Palmer when he plays, um, Jack Grealish maybe coming inside more. But... They have so many, so many players, yeah. so, many, so many pieces. And somehow I trust Pep to figure it out.
You know, yeah, for got, sure. He might have things figured out. Might, I'm not, not sure. Might, he Can't might tell. have a track record of that. All right, guys, uh, we are going to take another break. We are chatting some Leagues Cup with Felipe Cardenas. When we return, we'll be right back. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Welcome back to Morning Footy presented by Degree. It won't let you down. Well, guys, the League's Cup final is set. Here is a look at the bracket. It's going to be Nashville hosting Leo Messi and Inter Miami on Saturday night at Giudice Park in an all-MLS final. It would be the first trophy for either club who both joined the league in 2020. So hmm. for more on this final matchup, we are very excited to bring in our good friend Felipe Cardenas. Felipe, you're still in Miami? What's going on? I, I, I'm still here, and, and thankfully, because today at 4 p.m., Leo Messi's going to have his first press conference uh, coming to the United States. So. I'll be there. I'll be there for that. Yeah, we're going to want a full report on that. Okay, let's chat about this matchup between Nashville SC and Inter Miami. I mentioned it in the intro there. These two teams both came into the league in 2020, and it's kind of been there's been different narratives surrounding both of these teams. Nashville probably seen as the more successful club, having made the playoffs every year. Inter Miami going through a lot of turbulence in their in their short time in MLS, but now with the arrival of Leo Messi and Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba. Suddenly, they seem to be the favorites to take home their first trophy as opposed to Nashville SC. What do you make of, of this matchup and the storylines that come with it? Yeah, you mentioned that both teams playing for their first trophy, which is, you know, that, that's already a storyline. Uh, I think what's interesting is that Leo Messi will be playing for, if I'm not mistaken, like his 44th title. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, so that you, it's ridiculous. Yeah. That tells you like what he has brought to inter Miami, like that championship elite, uh, pedigree, uh, the leadership, you know, the, the players around him are getting better, which I think is, is another story on, on its own. You know, some of these players were struggling, didn't have the confidence that they needed. And you mentioned Alba Busquets and Messi, you know, you, you have to mention Tata Martino as well, because he has brought, a, a new level of confidence tactics that I think the team understands and are confident in. And so that that's one side of it. You look at Nashville, though. Nashville, I think, is a successful club. You know, yes, they're only three or four years old, but they're one of those few clubs that you that in MLS where you know exactly how they play. They have a style. They have an identity. You know, I think Gary Smith deserves so much credit. I mean, this is a guy that could end up being a lifer at Nashville, unless he decides, Hey, I want, I want a bigger challenge, but that's, that's where he is already. He's one of the top coaches in this league. You know where you're going to get, which is going to be a fight, uh, a difficult team to break down. They've got Hani Mukhtar, which is, which without Messi in this league is probably the best 10. Uh, and, and so that tells you everything. There's, there's talent, there's belief. And, and if you saw the game on Tuesday night, Monterey, Nashville, that stadium is loud. I mean, it was complete. It was bananas. And so that's that's the environment that Inter-Miami is going to walk into. So, Felipe, given Nashville's run, Cincinnati, top team in Major League Soccer, 
Club America, Minnesota, who were in, in great form, winning 5-0. Obviously, there was a red card, and that influenced the game. But then Monterrey, 2-0. Given that run to a final, they're playing Inter-Miami with Messi. Who has the advantage? What, what, what are you more impressed with in terms of this, this path to a final? I'm, I am impressed with Nashville's run because clearly they, they again, I don't mean, mean to say other teams didn't take it seriously, but like you can see that Nashville is like, hey, we're in this tournament to get to the final. And no one predicted this final. You can't say that people are thinking, oh, yeah, Nashville and Inter-Miami, you know, that's going to be the final. The, the Liga MX MLS final, a Liga MX versus Messi final is what everyone wanted, certainly the organizers and the sponsors, but steps, you know, here steps in Nashville, you know, the team that no one thought would be here. Uh, I think a team that that's built for tournament play. And, and so, yeah, like eliminating these top teams in Mexico, Club America and, and Monterrey, I think that goes, it's going to be part of their history. You know, I know Leagues Cup, this is the first, you know, the inaugural tournament, but those are big wins. Those are big wins. And Monterrey, yes, they traveled a lot. They were tired. But they're a good team. They're a good team, well coached, and and Nashville in the end got it done. I think again, when you have Lionel Messi in your starting eleven, you have the advantage. Like that's just the bottom line. And and now it comes down to Nashville trying to do what no team has done since he arrived. We're going on six games now where he has scored and they've won Inter Miami, and Messi has not been stopped he's he's been quiet maybe for for parts of games but he shout he shows up he pops up and, and and that's an issue for other teams because they know he can do that so right now the advantage goes to inner miami just because they have the extraterrestrial and, and, and Leo Messi you know, starting for them but you know the home field advantage you're, you're gonna feel it I just feel like inner miami has these three players that have played in tough environments they're gonna be able to deal with that I'm super excited for this one. This is, it's, it's, it is going to be epic. Felipe, you've been in contact with a lot of foreign journalists, especially Argentinian journalists, since you were in Miami for the unveil of Argentina's new facility. We'll get to that in a second. But what is your sensation from how they're all perceiving the league? Because I know I have Argentine friends that are watching Major League Soccer for the first time, or at least at least League's Cup and a lot of Major League Soccer teams, and they say they saw the Philadelphia game, and they were like, oh, is this supposed to be one of the best teams in the MLS? I'm like, ah, yes. Like, this, it's unfair representation of what Philly was. In the that's MLS. Yeah, the MLS. That's it. Nico, you're off. Yeah, Nico. sorry. <laughs> Worst habit to Nico break. Nico sounds like a so foreign difficult. journalist. Yeah, exactly. right? Thanks, Nico's like guys. Argentino. In, is this here. supposed to be one of the best teams in MLS? Ooh, that's impossible. Probably I think that some of those it. criticisms um, are causing me to have significant messy fatigue already. Like, I can't believe that he just got here. It feels like he's been here 100 years. Yeah. And he hasn't even played an MLS match yet. I, all of the eyes that have suddenly kind of gathered around yeah. to watch him play are certainly, they're loud about it. You right. know? And I'm I like, mean, quite frankly, I'm very protective of MLS. I have always been an MLS fan. And so I, I understand that it's a little bit our weird child, but like it's our weird, weird child. Like culturally different, <laughs> we're not trying to replicate, you know, another league maybe that was at its onset, but that's just not how it's evolved, right? Well, like, for sure, he and shattered. And I don't think that there's any reason to think that, you know, a team like the Union, who have a rich history, 
should even be slighted in the least. Playing against Messi. Right. I'm like, hello, Ligue 1, like he La has, Liga. Messi dismantles entire squads single-handedly. He has shattered a lot of preconceived notions that people might have had about the league, that maybe that we had. So how are they perceiving it, Felipe, abroad? It's interesting because in Argentina, they've, they've always covered MLS. Uh, not, the, not the way they're covering it now, obviously, <laughs> but it's always been part of the new cycle, uh, you know, because of the, the, so many Argentines that are here in the league. And it's just, you know, if, you, if you're on Twitter and you follow ESPN Argentina, like they'll, they'll, they'll bring it up every once in a while, you know, great goal in MLS or so-and-so, you know, this team won in MLS, but that's it. Now they have a dedicated reporter down here who's been here for over a month and he's tracking everything that Messi does. And he's at every training session and he's reporting live on the site. You know, TYC Sports, one of the biggest uh, networks in Argentina, they have people down here. They're reporting on Messi's every move uh, and they're learning about MLS. That's what I would say. You know, they're, they're not here to say this league is elite. No, you can tell that they're trying to learn about the league as well. Who are these teams? Who are these players? Who are the coaches? What is League's Cup? You know, what is an MLS salary cap like? I've seen it all. Them, you know, explaining what this is, what this league is like to their followers and to their audience. So that's been interesting. You know, I, I think in terms of how it is perceived, though, still MLS has has a way to go. You mentioned the the the, the, the event that I was at on Tuesday. Lionel Scaloni, the Argentina manager, was asked about the level of MLS. The question that was put to him was how, was how can a team go from losing by two to three goals to winning by two to three goals? That's Inter Miami, mm -hmm. uh, and he you know he defended MLS. He said it's it's a good league. I've been at games. I've seen teams. It's not a bad league. Every league is difficult. Every game is difficult to play. But what I will say is that. You know, Leo Messi, to, to, you know, to Christine's point, like who has stopped him? He's had quiet games. Yeah. But he scored 91 goals in one season with Barcelona, you know, like, against what world did that class say players. About La Liga? <laughs> yeah. Like he was tearing up La Liga where people were saying this league is the two team league. Uh, and I think there's a lot more parody in MLS. I know that's intentional, but he will uncover a lot of things that perhaps people don't want to see. I think tactically you're seeing teams changing on the fly and they're they're struggling to play against him. They're struggling to play against this team. And so I think that's going to be an adjustment. But as far as the level goes, you know, MLS, it's growing. It's an international league. And now they have the best player in the world. And, and, and that's the story right now. Felipe, now to the Argentine training facility that the Argentine Football Association has decided to construct in Miami. It's crazy to think that Argentina will have a dedicated training facility in the US before US soccer does. It's groundbreaking. It is, uh, and, and I'll have a story up soon, uh, hopefully today on The Athletic, with a lot of detail on, on what I heard and what the plan is for the Argentina Football Association, which is their federation. Uh, listen, it's not only their first one, this is gonna be their second facility. The, 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 the one in Hialeah that they formally announced on, on Tuesday is going to be a massive, sprawling, high-performance uh, training center with multiple pitches, uh, public parks for the community, uh, but this is gonna be a home base for the national team. And, and you see the images there, uh, it was a packed house. It was a TED Talk-like event 
with Lionel Scaloni giving a tactics breakdown for coaches, for, for, for football professionals. You know, I happened to be there. I was able to get into that, that part of the media to, of the event as well. Uh, and, and it was, it was great to see, but it was also interesting to just see this, this federation and the confidence that, that they have, you know, you know, uh, Nico in Argentine is never one to, to shy away from a subtlety there. This is a brash nation <laughs> and they're the world champions. Oh, you they don't are the say. World champions. clip this, please Felipe, clip this you for don't me. Say. <laughs> That, hey, and, and that's the truth. And they're coming for more. That's the that's the plan here. They're coming for more. They they're this objective. Yeah, they're they're setting up shop in the U.S. So it's it is it is somewhat controversial because the U.S. soccer doesn't have a facility yet. They're they're planning on one. It looks like Atlanta could be the spot for them. Uh, but in the meantime, the AFA is moving on with was moving forward with two two training facilities. One that's going to house their commercial administrative talent and coaching education program in North Bay Village. And then Hialeah is going to be a really elite training center where you're going to see the national teams there. And they're going to set up camp here before Copa America, before certain uh, combable World Cup qualifiers. That was revealed on Tuesday. You know, they're going to be here often. And this is also the objective here is to defend two titles. The Copa America title, they're the defending South American champions. They want to win it. They want to win it on U.S. soil. The World Cup, they want to win their fourth uh, star, their, their fourth title, World Cup title in the U.S. It's There's a plan here, uh, and they have a lot of money behind them. So it, it is it is certainly a, a brash move uh, by the Argentines, and, and it's, it's really interesting to see how this develops. I always perceived our culture as quiet, humble, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> That's, maybe that's uh, the wrong take. I don't know. I've... It's called self-awareness, Nico. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Felipe, great stuff as always. Enjoy Miami. I'm sure we'll check back in with you very soon. All right. Take care, everybody. All right, guys. We are going to take a break, but we are chatting some Serie A when we come back. Christine Cupo is pumped up for that one. Stick around. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. 